0: Folks, welcome back to part two of our episode with Mike McCardle, co-founder of Lucid Dream, a virtual reality augmented reality company focusing on immersive education technologies in the healthcare space. In part one, Mike discussed why VR has so rapidly become a feasible product and the value of VR that is bespoke to a company's needs. He described Lucid Dream's immersive educational technology to train clinicians for rare medical events and how a pharmaceutical company is using them for sales training. To get back to where we left off, it would be great to hear about how you're now using the digital data trail created by customers interacting with your device and how you're going to be using that for your own product
1: development. Yeah, that's a fantastic question. So I would say it boils down to the possibility space for the data we can collect is in one way limited by the technology, but in another way, it's kind of limitless because we have in order to display, so let's say you put on a virtual reality headset and let's say you have just two other kind of tracked points, I'll call them. So your left hand, your right hand, and then your head. In order for me to design a VR experience for you, I need to know what to show you when you turn your head around. So the headset needs to know where you're looking. When you take a couple steps to the left or to the right, when you crouch down, the headset needs to know what you're doing so that when I design the environment you're in, it can display the correct angle and location in that environment. Similarly, if you reach out with your left hand, let's say, and I'm left-handed, so I'm a little bit biased, but I'm sure for all you righties out there, if you want to reach out with your right hand, that's fine too, I won't judge you and you wanna pick up something, I need to know what that is. I need to know how close your hand was to the thing. I need to know exactly when you actually start gripping your fingers on the controller to pick it up. And excitingly, with some of our headsets, and so Oculus just announced for the Quest hand tracking, Will be going live very soon. And so I actually have access to your hands. So that the hardware itself needs to know where your hands are in spatial relationship and what your fingers are doing. So all of that is kind of table stakes for having a virtual reality experience. And if I have access to that information, I need the hardware needs to know that information anyway. And it's I like to say it's throwing off that information constantly. It's just throwing it into the ether. And so to not actually use that information and think hard about it and obviously have consistency involved, do it ethically, make sure the user is understanding exactly how and why we're capturing that information. But to not use that information, to me, feels like a big waste of the technology. Because again, we're throwing off this biometric information. If I put a headset on you, and the first thing you see is a huge McDonald's sign, and then you look at it, and then you look around, and you see a Burger King sign, and you start staring that Burger King sign five minutes longer than you stare at the McDonald's sign. I'm no scientist, but, but that's a pretty clear indication that you probably prefer Burger King. And that's a silly example, but we can start to infer some things about user intent, intentionality, aversion, or attraction. And we can start to kind of use that information to try to understand why users are interacting with our experiences and in what way. And we can use that in a variety of ways. We can use it in the moment, so we can kind of alter and tailor the experience to the user based on what they're doing in very simple ways. or we can actually use it after the fact. We can use it after the fact to help our clients understand their user base, but we can also use it after the fact to help ourselves design better experiences in the future. And we do all of the above, we do all of that. When we first started out years and years and years ago, we weren't capturing the data, we weren't doing much with it. And we very quickly realized that that is a huge waste of potential of this technology. And if you really think about it, once the headsets start getting a little bit more advanced and we start having things like eye tracking, which we have headsets in in our office, which have eye tracking. But once those start getting integrated into the some of the off the shelf headsets that we see, we'll have another level of kind of data that we can capture again with consent, but that we can start to think about and use. And that starts getting into what I like to call personalized learning. So we are not the same people throughout the day, we approach things differently, I might learn something differently at 6am when I'm groggy, then I might well, probably at 3pm, I'm groggy after lunch. But you know what I mean? Right after I've had my morning coffee, I might be a little bit more engaged and ready to learn in a different way. So I might need more upbeat learning content. I might need to see things a little bit quicker, a little bit more in a different way versus if I'm kind of in a mellow mood, I can still learn, but I might have to have things a little slowed down for me. I might need to have it a little bit more tailored. And so once we start to understand the way our users are engaging with the experience, we can start to tailor the experiences to, to kind of meet them where they're at. And that's what I'm probably most excited about in terms of the types of data that we can collect.
0: Yeah, I definitely was going to mention the uh, eye tracking bit, because especially when you think about when people are trying to have more of those immersive medical training scenarios, and you're trying to really understand where people's attention going up. Yeah, those things seem to be that's a huge amount of information, definitely want to be collecting it. But let's not delay anymore on your second healthcare project, which is also really cool. Can you tell us about it?
1: Yeah, let's talk about it. So the second one that I wanted to kind of highlight, and both of these projects were unique in different ways. So the first one was a unique challenge space. And, and we created this very interactive choose-your-own-adventure difficult conversation simulation. The second one was a challenge in another way. So we had a client who works on a rare disease. They have a class of drugs that work on this rare disease. And it's a disease of the lungs. And it's not a it's a debilitating disease for those who have it, but it is not a common disease. So there's a lot of misinformation about what the disease is, it manifests as kind of different things. So you might look at a a set of symptoms and think it's a completely unrelated disease when it's not. And so our client wanted to convey, they want a a lot, a large part of what they want to do is they want to increase the educational resources and an educational value of what it feels like to have this disease or what this disease is. So we came up with a solution for an internal kind of training tool. First, it's internal. We might do more with it, but it was the idea was a patient empathy simulation. So we wanted to give users the feeling of what it felt like to have this disease. And this this might be for patients themselves, their loved ones or their family members. This might be for doctors who still want to understand this disease and kind of have greater empathy so that they can better treat and better provide services. And so what we came up with was utilizing kind of a multimodal approach. So we used a high-end virtual reality headset. We used an HTC Vive. And that it has huge field of view, it has a high resolution, it has highly immersive audio and visuals, it has sub-millimeter tracking. So this is a headset that when you put it on, is designed to really instantly transport you to wherever we want you to be. And what we did was we put you in a kitchen and you look around and you have a simple task. You have to put away your groceries. You've just gotten back from the, you might've bought milk, hopefully you didn't break the law, but you just got back from the store and you have to actually put away your groceries. The user in the real world is also wearing a, it's called a haptic vest. So haptics is the idea of of feeling, touch, sensation. And the more we can integrate touch with what the person is seeing in virtual reality, that increases this idea of presence or feeling like you're there. So we use this haptic vest, the person's wearing a haptic vest, The haptic vest has 32 motors, and they can vibrate at different frequencies, and they can pulse, and they can thump, and they can rotate. And the user's wearing the headset. They're in this kitchen, and at first, they just pick up some cans, and they open shelves, and they put away the cans, and everything's fine. But then after they put away a couple of groceries, they start to feel this thumping in their chest, so they can tell that their heart rate is increasing. Now, the user themselves are not necessarily experiencing increased heart rate, or at least they're not doing anything exerting that might lead them to experience this increased heart rate. But we often find that sympathetically, your heart rate ends up increasing as you go through this experience, which is an interesting phenomenon. I should also mention that before people put on this headset and go through the experience, we have kind of this disclaimer that we kind of have them go through and have them understand and sign. And near the end of the experience, it gets very intense. We are deliberately trying to disorient We are deliberately trying to kind of throw you off your game and make you feel like what it feels like to have kind of an aggressive form of this disease or a late stage. So as you continue putting away groceries, you start to feel more and more symptoms. So it starts out with the heart rate increasing. You start to heal, hear your breath. Then your breath rate increases and gets louder, and you just hear it through your ears, but you start to sympathetically breathe louder and faster. And then your vision starts narrowing, so you kind of can't see as well. Things start blurring a little bit. And then finally, in the final kind of stages of the experience, um, we end up trying to simulate dizziness, and we do it very effectively, and we do it by actually taking the ground underneath your feet and moving it and rotating it as if you're on a small boat in the middle of the Pacific. And that's where it starts to get really disorienting. People oftentimes reach out and try to grab the counter of the virtual kitchen that, again, does not exist. And so we have a facilitator there to make sure that people don't fall over. Um, and at any time, if they start to feel overwhelmed, we tell them to just close their eyes, we'll quit the experience and we'll take the headset off. But it is a very powerful tool and it accurately conveys what it feels like to actually have this disease. Obviously, not completely accurately. It feels very different, but it kind of gets you in the, into that headspace and it makes you feel kind of similarly stressed out and dizzy and and overwhelmed and out of breath. So it, it's a very powerful experience and it was a very interesting project to work on.
0: I have to say that sounds simultaneously horrifying and yet excellent learning tool for people to become more sympathetic and have a better comprehension of what the morbidities associated with the, you know, the disease
1: burden is. Absolutely. And
0: yeah, I have to say, just your description of that, I started uh, started feeling a little something too. Yeah, exactly.
1: The sympathetic kind of response is something that kind of built into us as human beings. And when you can start to tap into that, you can imagine, I just described it, but you can imagine going through the actual experience, it's that much more immersive.
0: And so when people go through this training, does it, for doctors, for example, does it help them better, one, sympathize with their patients, but also help them prepare their patient for the progression as well?
1: Yeah, well, the way we were thinking about it is that it gives the doctors another tool in their mental framework. So they, the more they understand the world of their patient and kind of where their patient might get to, maybe the more they'll start to take seriously the different treatment modalities and start to think more about this disease and maybe kind of think of it more often, maybe by doing that, catch more instances of the actual disease than they might otherwise. So that's kind of the idea there is to increase the empathy and have that kind of drive a change in behavior.
0: Yeah, I was also thinking that another interesting thing with that is because, you know, a lot of people, healthcare engineers and software engineers are really trying to understand you could call it the ergonomics of their software development or the ergonomics of their product and something that if you had a better understanding of what the patient was going through, you could more proactively design your product. You're not you're no longer getting annoyed with your patient for not adhering. You're actually seeing that they have these legitimate goals to yeah. compliance, for example, with a medical directive.
1: Yes, exactly. And you can start to see how pa- the symptoms that patients experience can lead to lacks of, lack of compliance, can lead to confusion, can lead to kind of mixed messages, and can lead to, honestly, patients being conflicted themselves on, on what they should do and how they should go about it. So yeah, I agree. It's a great use case in that regard as well.
0: Well, Mike, you've certainly covered two really interesting projects. Where are you looking to go forward with this or? So What are the future areas where you're looking to add value beyond what you've just described?
1: Yeah, so our main goals are to kind of expand our reach in all key focus areas that I mentioned. One area we're particularly excited to do more work in is kind of manufacturer training. We've done some work in the space. It's been very impactful. But we're very bullish on that space in particular and how it lends itself to kind of volumetric spaces, 3D and immersive training, kind of rapid upskilling of a workforce. And then kind of longer term goal, VR as a therapy is a very interesting space for us. And as we kind of think about using this technology, one of the things that we kind of have on our roadmap is trying to think about exploring use cases of using it for wellness, using it for therapy, and kind of bringing kind of that product to market. And that is a very exciting thing for us, kind of as a company that's kind of as, as like a mission driven organization that's something that kind of gets at our mission of trying to transform the life sciences industry but there's a lot that goes into it and and we are using this time to kind of explore the space um, and make sure that we as we're creating solutions we are keeping in mind all of our kind of key skill sets and, and areas but i would say as kind of our next steps as an organization we you know we're growing we're finding a lot of demand and we're kind of growing to meet that demand. And we are just focusing on creating the greatest value for our clients as possible. We don't strive to be a mile wide and an inch deep. We don't strive to be transactional. We don't strive to cast a wide net and just like whoever the heck wants to come in, our doors can come in. We vastly prefer to have deep relationships with a select number of clients and make sure that we are really adding value. And that's kind of where we come from and and where we're going kind of as we expand. Um, and that's what's really exciting too, because we develop friendships and close relationships with our clients and we kind of are more trusted partners and advisors than just vendors. So that's kind of the space we want to be in and the space we continue to find ourselves in as we grow up.
0: Well, what you just said as far as creating these more bespoke but impactful services, I think that gets back to what you said before with saying that your products, they are—they are going to be fantastic, but if you don't create a fantastic VR product, You're going to create one that looks sort of ridiculous or boilerplate, (laughs) and you don't want to get around to doing
1: it. Yeah, that's right. VR is going to be immersive and incredible no matter what, but it is very easy to create experiences that are just immersive and just incredible, but not taking that next step and making them impactful making the memory retention higher, making the learning objectives achieved, making sure we're moving a metric for our clients. And that's kind of where we kind of fit into the ecosystem is there's a lot of people out there using this technology to just delight and entertain and to create escapist experiences. And there's nothing wrong with that at all. We actually take a lot of inspiration from that field, from the entertainment field, from Hollywood, from, from gaming. But our mandate and kind of the way we approach it is, We want to use this technology to actually drive a metric, to actually help accelerate our clients in their kind of digital transformation, to add value and to kind of deepen these relationships. So that's kind of where we fit into the picture, because we believe that this technology is not a gimmick. It is not just a novelty. It's here to stay. It is incredibly powerful, but it needs to be used in the right way.
0: Well, that is really cool. And it's fantastic having your entrepreneurial perspective on where this technology, as you just said, it isn't just gimmicky. It isn't just artistic or just really interesting, cool looking. You are actually looking very specifically in how to add value. With our last few minutes, we're getting to my favorite part of the episode where (laughs) for any entrepreneur, I actually just Voiced an idea of a product that I would like to see, and if they could create it at some point. Um, (laughs) Okay. So here's the deal. A few months ago, my wife and I were going through infant CPR training. So Uh we basically went down to the hospital down the road and it's a big classroom and they bring in all these dummies, you know, adult-sized dummies, kid-sized dummies, baby-sized dummies, big, bulky, voluminous things. And show us a little bit of a training video. Then they have us just, you know, go through the steps, they count overall. In preparation for our daughter coming about, we maybe spent 15, 20 minutes preparing for CPR plus interaction with the model. And when I was going through this and we went through just exactly one example where they say, don't forget, you know, to check the surrounding, things like that. And I was thinking this would be a fantastic place for virtual reality. One, be simply because, you know, the headset and the equipment's actually just a lot smaller. So you could actually just shift these things around, but also, you know, we only went through one scenario and when a child is not breathing for one reason or another, it could be because of an actual health event, it could be because of choking, something like that. It doesn't give you that sort of depth and that breadth of experience to try and go through all these other different scenarios. So I was, okay. even at the time, I was thinking, man, I really want to talk to Mike and Josh about this, that if they yeah. ever create a product where it can let us practice CPR and go through different scenarios. And I'd even buy a monthly subscription so I could practice once a month. Um, (laughs) Got to know about it if that ever comes about.
1: Well, absolutely. I mean, that is an example of the type of stuff we're very interested in. And we've gotten a lot of interest in as well from outside parties. But the low frequency, high risk, as I said before, is such an impactful way. It's such a place where we can add value because you can imagine, as you said, let's say you have a VR headset at home. You can just throw it in a bag and take it wherever you want. Once a week, you could practice that scenario. You could practice it so much that you could do it in your sleep. You don't have to rely on going to a hospital and waiting for their facilitator to be ready. They offer those things. My wife and I had a baby girl eight months ago. And so about a year ago, we were going through that stuff again. But like you said, it was it was like one or two sessions. And kind of that's it. And honestly, frankly, even though we at the time we felt confident, then we had the whole fast, you know, experience of having a baby and it's been a year. And so like if something happened, it would be a very panicky moment where it'd be kind of hard for us to remember that. And so, yeah, I think that's a great way that this type of technology can add value. My dad is a his dad was an organ salesman and he, my dad plays the piano. So I grew up hearing him practice all these incredibly complicated piano parts because he loves the virtuosic nature of playing. But he often told me, and as I was preparing for kind of concerts and stuff growing up, practice something until you're bored with it. He's like, the way to be on stage and, and be good is to be literally bored with the material. You know it so well that it's not exciting to you anymore. And then you start to look for different ways to kind of get excitement about it throughout it. But that's obviously a different concept context, but it's the same idea, right? You want to be so prepared that when the thing happens, you just flip into a mode and sure, you might be panicking. You might be scared. You'd definitely be scared, but you know what to do and you've done it a million times before. And that's where VR could really add value.
0: Well, that's really cool. In our last few minutes, you're a successful company. You're also a growing company. If people are interested, how should they get in contact? Should they look for you on the website? Are you currently hiring?
1: absolutely yeah we're currently hiring we have some open positions that we will be posting very soon that we're wrapping up kind of the positions themselves and yeah go to our website uh, lucid and we're also on linkedin you can follow us on linkedin we're on twitter we're on instagram you can kind of follow us in kind of any way that you want but Anytime we post a new opening, we'll kind of blast it out across social media. And yeah, we're excited about the talent in this area, especially in the triangle. We're excited about kind of growing our team. And we're still at the sweet spot where we can personally kind of vet and touch every hire. So we're very concerned about kind of, we don't want to be a company where we grow and kind of lose sight of our culture. So we are very intentional with our hires. We're very intentional with our company culture. We're very excited and interested in hearing from talented people. And yeah, I would encourage you guys to everyone out there who's interested to check out our website and you'll be able to see our open positions.
0: Well, Mike, I hope you can enjoy that more hands-on time while it lasts. There's a quality of product. You're going to keep on growing. So enjoy it while it lasts. Thanks so much <laughs> Thank again you. for your time today. Yeah, it'll be great Thank to you, hear uh, in the future some more of the applications that you're doing. and If you want to come on another time and tell us about some more of the projects, it'd be fantastic to hear about them.
1: I would love that as well. Thank you so much, Glenn, for the opportunity, and uh, this was a great conversation. Great, have a great day. You too, take care.
0: Well, that's it for this episode of The Pod of the Asclepius. We hope you enjoyed it and will tune in for our next episode. If you're watching from YouTube, don't forget to subscribe to our channel and leave a like. You can also follow us on our other social media channels, including LinkedIn, Twitter, and Instagram. Have a great story or presentation that's ready for prime time, or know someone who does? Drop Glenn an email because he'd be happy to hear from you. We would like to thank our sponsors from the American Statistical Association section on Statistical Learning and Data Science, section on Medical Devices and Diagnostics and North Carolina Chapter. The views expressed on the show are those of the speaker and not their employers, our sponsors or anyone else not saying the words.